Good morning. Good morning. Long time no see. I know. It's been a few weeks. I'm not myself when I don't get to podcast with you. I know. I know. So you you moved. Your backdrop is different now. It is. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure the listeners can hear, I'm in a different space. New apartment. Went from uh, downtown Boston to Somerville, which is like an adjacent, almost adjacent town. And yeah, it was totally painless. I hired some movers. That was a great decision. I had an interesting conversation with one of the one of the guys. It was great. They're so fast. They they were like moving up and down the stairs so quickly and just like they they laughed at the amount of stuff I had, which is pretty minimal and just loaded it so very quickly. I was talking to the like head mover guy as I was like paying at the end and he was saying that they had had a job before my apartment and they had one after. And so they were like moving three people that day. And I was like, "Holy crap, that's got to be like really tough on your body." And he's like, "Actually, we're doing this like six days a week, all day, and it's just it's fine. It's like it's like, we like we just keep moving and like you stay strong and like it. It's like I feel great. And I was like, I have basically a sedentary desk job, and I don't feel great. <laughs> and that's like something that I sort of kind of knew, but it, it's very counterintuitive. Like you would think, like if you have this cushy, easy lifestyle, you should like your body's just like, oh, I'm not being stressed at all. I'm in like such a good, happy place, but it's the opposite. Like this guy who's carrying couches downstairs feels good because he's limber and strong and moves around all day. And like, I have these random back pains and these weird weaknesses. And it's just like, oh, it's because I'm not moving enough. The whole concept of exercise to me is actually like a, feels like a paradox. Like it's good for your body to break down muscle tissue and have it rebuild itself. And it seems like it would be bad for your heart to make it pump really fast because you're like straining that muscle. But actually it's, precisely what you should be doing. So yeah, I've always been fascinated by that. For those guys, probably they're they're doing so many of the same types of motions all the time, lifting boxes or, you know, hoisting up large objects. And I bet their bodies have really optimized for that path, you know? So like those those muscles on that critical path are like psh, no big deal, you know? Definitely. Yeah, and that's what like the body seems to be really good at. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, just throw me some tasks and I will get good at those tasks. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty badass. I've gotten a massage a few times here in the city, and um, the the lady who does them, I've I've asked her before, like, do you do you get tired after a day of doing this? Because anytime I try to give someone a massage, just like with my hands on their shoulders or something, like within I don't know five ten minutes, my hands are cramping, and I'm like trying to like change position. But she's like, no, actually, same kind of thing as those movers. Like, no. I don't feel it at all. It's like there's ways to do it where she's like relying on body weight more and not straining muscles. But like, yeah, same kind of thing. It's pretty badass. We're adaptable creatures. Mm -hmm. Indeed. It's nice. So um, speaking of that kind of stuff, did you have a fitness goal? Yes. So got my got my bod pod results. So kind of like what we were talking about, you you threw out the heuristic of like a pound of fat loss a week is is pretty typical or like pretty attainable and, and safe and all that. So I've been fiddling with like, what if I add this much muscle, lose this much fat, you know, kind of tweaking with the numbers to see what will get me into the ideal range. I'm at like a 25% right now. So that's like, by bod pods measures, it's like right in the middle of the, eh, you're kind of overweight, but not like obese range, right? That puts me at about 10 to 12 pounds of fat loss obviously the more muscle i add during that time frame the less the less that number needs to go down but what i'm not totally clear on maybe you have an idea of this is i don't know what i can expect for like actually adding muscle mass 
I don't know what like if there's a good heuristic for that if you're doing like strength building exercise it probably varies widely I guess but I think it depends on a number of things but especially if you've done it before like consistent strength training so so you you gain much faster for your first year basically or even your first six months than you will later so it depends on how close to that state you are okay I used to be much stronger, like I, I was m- much more of a regular exerciser before, and then I kind of went through a period of time where I where I wasn't. So I feel like I'm probably going to be able to put on a bit of muscle mass now, like to get me back to where I used to be at least. So I don't know, assuming conservatively that I'm able to put on several pounds of muscle mass, then I need to lose about a pound a week over the next quarter to reach my goal. So, so my goal is... T- 20% and that's it comes out to about 200 pounds I'm like 212 right now so there are basically there are just about 10 weeks a little more than 10 weeks before April 1st yep so you could lose about 10 pounds yeah and I'm I have been exercising consistently and I'm going to do a check-in bod pod about a month from when I did my last one which was about two weeks ago I think so assuming that I've already lost some since I took the bod pod over the la- over the past two weeks. I'm hoping I'm already making progress towards that goal. The one month check-in bod pod should hopefully give me a good picture of whether I'm on the right trajectory or not, or if I need to alter course. Awesome. I like yeah. this goal now. Yeah. It's like, as soon as I start measuring it, it really kind of motivates me. And I, I do definitely feel like I'm more in the habit. Like I kind of crave physical activity after a long day of sitting in front of a computer screen I was skeptical at first that that I would get there because in the past I've felt like uh, by the end of the day when my brain is spent and I feel like I, I'm lacking willpower, like if I'm not in the habit of exercise, then it's easy for me to feel like, you know what, I just don't even have the mental strength to go bring myself to go exercise, so I'm just going to relax, you know. But now it's like, now that I'm in the habit, I feel after uh, <laughs> sitting in front of a computer, I feel like I need to move. Like I want to do this every day. I need to get blood flowing. I think for me, the key is going to be like shorter periods of exercise more frequently as opposed to the like exercise only twice a week and go really hard. I think I kind of need that almost daily cadence of like getting blood flowing. That's what makes me feel the best. Yeah. There does not seem to be a too often for me in terms of making me feel awesome. Like if I if I lift too much for too long, I notice I, I, I kind of have like a risk for injury. But in terms of like feeling good, it's just like you can't like every day is not too much to me to do something. Like if I don't exercise for a full day, I kind of notice it. I'm like, I don't feel great. It's but like, and by the second day, it's like, oh man, this is just, I'm in a bad place. My mood is worse. I'm like less patient. Everything is just a lot of mental things are down and physical things are just off. Your goal is 20% body fat by April 1st. Is that right? Yep. Basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. Cool. (laughs) Good luck. Thank you. (laughs) I was on a website the other day. Yeah. And uh, I refreshed it and uh, some stuff changed. (laughs) Yes. So this has been a big project that has been pretty secret. You know, it's been in the works for many months and a crazy amount of work went into it. But basically, uh, yeah, Drip got a new brand refresh, essentially. And that includes a new logo, a new marketing site, new color palette, new messaging, um, new skin inside the app. Not really anything moved around inside the app, but definitely like color scheme changes, uh, which people are people are certainly noticing. It's been a a big undertaking, Uh, big props to the whole brand team at Drip for pulling this together. I know that they were, they were working crazy hours to make this happen. So 
the big motivation behind it was I've alluded to this in the past few months, but basically we've been we've been trying to strategically find what our focus is going to be for the next year and coming years for Drip. We've been, you know, historically a very general purpose tool that can be used by almost any business or person who's doing things online, right? And we kind of started out really marketing ourselves towards the the small SaaS players, the the consultants, the info marketers, bloggers even would use Drip or still do use Drip. That puts us in a difficult position when it comes to actually pressing into our marketing efforts because where do you focus? You know, do you just try to say like Drip is great for everybody or do you kind of put a stake in the ground and identify a specific niche where Drip is most valuable and, and those are the types of customers we really want to go after. Um, even though Drip will always be, you know, probably broadly applicable to a lot of different industries. And there's there's a lot of risk in this too because anytime you position yourself strongly, people can feel alienated, like you're no longer the tool for them. And so this is something that's it's gonna be interesting to see how it how it susses out. I know we're doing a lot of communication on social media and in our Facebook community and you know, trying to trying to ease fears of um, existing customers who maybe feel like our positioning is not, doesn't fit them exactly. It feels good to have it out in the world for sure. Yeah. That's the positioning was actually what I was most curious about. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So we, we are calling ourselves an ECRM, which is probably like the first time you hear it, you're like, what the heck is that? Right. Because even like the word CRM had not been traditionally associated with, with drip. But um, if you if you think about it, what is a CRM? A CRM is a customer relationship management piece of software, right? And your traditional CRM that you think about is, say, Salesforce. You know, they're the biggest biggest company to put the CRM label on their product, and they're really a sales enablement tool. Like they help salespeople track their prospects and leads and move them through their pipeline. So it's less about like customer and more about sales. And there's long been this gap in the the suite of software tools for the types of companies that don't have dedicated sales teams but want the same type of same type of process to be happening in the background where you're effectively moving people through your funnel you know people who come to your website seem interested but want more information and there is a built-in funnel there that is very clear when you're doing direct sales because you have salespeople talking to people and and deliberately tracking what stage they're in. But for like an e-commerce site where you have maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of visitors a month, and then a certain chunk of those are viewing products, and a certain chunk of those are putting products in their cart, and then a smaller portion are actually purchasing something, and then there's opportunities for cross-sell and upsell. This whole process is effectively what you could be doing with a CRM if you had a sales team, but people have kind of been left in the dark if you don't have sales teams. The E in eCRM stands for e-commerce. That in and of itself is kind of a loaded term because different people have different ideas about what e-commerce means, right? A lot of people think of it as like, well, it's basically brick and mortar, but online. We had discussions internally. Should we call it digital commerce? Should we call it like, I don't know, something else that, that doesn't shoehorn us into the traditional, like typical way people think about e-commerce and that's why naming things is so hard, especially when when these terms are so loaded and oftentimes they're misnomers. You know, I think Salesforce calling themselves a CRM is a bit of a misnomer. A lot of that baggage comes with these terms, but on the flip side, these terms are 
well understood by a lot of people in the market. So we have our CMO comes from the um, the e-commerce land, like the larger e-commerce, not like your typical Shopify customer, but like big, bigger um, scale. And for him, uh, you know, when he hears the word CRM, he says, yeah, we've been they've been trying to sell us basically this promise for many years, but nobody has actually delivered on it. And so Drip has an opportunity to be, you know, to actually deliver on the promise of a CRM for teams without sales teams. And so I think like the probably the mid-market segment of folks will probably resonate quicker with with the way we're with what we're calling ourselves. And then it's a bit of an education play at the at the smaller end of the market to to really inform people about what we mean by that. When you're saying e-commerce, what does that mean? Is that strictly physical goods or no? No, no. So it's so it's anyone who's selling things primarily online. You know, those things could be info products. They could be ticketing. It could be like a ticketing website that's that's selling tickets to to shows online. Basically, anyone who's doing commerce on the internet would fit into that category. Is that really much of a narrowing of Drip's focus? Then, like, I would assume that pretty much everyone that pays for Drip is selling something on the internet. Is that not true? Actually, not the case. Um, okay. Like, if you think about if you think about a blogger who's really just building personal brand, you know, they're oftentimes not actually selling products. There's certain other types of use cases. And right now it's like, I think, I don't know, less than a majority of drip users fall into like traditional e-commerce. And then there's kind of other ones that maybe wouldn't call themselves e-commerce, but actually are doing commerce. So I think it's probably, probably a majority of drip users today are actually selling things, but they don't consider themselves e-commerce, if that makes sense. And so does it make sense to identify yourself as being for e-commerce people because the future customers you want to go after are would identify themselves that way? Yes, exactly. So, you know, one of the ways that we're shifting, that the product is shifting to honor this positioning is that, you know, we've traditionally, all the metrics inside of Drip have traditionally been like an email service provider type metrics, like open rates, click-through rates, um, unsubscribe rates. Those types of metrics are interesting for someone who's selling things online, but ultimately they mostly care about how much money is this driving. Um, You know, if I send this email, what's the ROI of sending that email? So, you know, you're going to start to see dollar signs everywhere inside of Drip, basically. Like, Like anywhere we can start to track what the end result is of these things, we're going to do it. And historically, that's not been quite as easy because part of the time people don't even uh, wire up conversion tracking or they're not piping sales data into Drip because they're really just doing more traditional like email marketing type activities and and not necessarily tying that all the way back to driving sales of goods or services. I wonder if this will like almost help focus some of the existing people I actually haven't wired up conversion tracking for like refactoring rails, but if it's all over the interface where it's like, you could be knowing, you could know how much this email made you, that would get me over the hump kind of. Yeah, for sure. And that's the other, that's the other kind of message that we are trying to drive home. I think with, especially with people who are like, wait, I don't identify as e-commerce is drip still for me. Our response to that is almost everyone is selling something. It's just, you know, maybe you don't think of yourselves as e-commerce, but even someone who's building a personal brand, you know, if they ultimately release something that 
causes an exchange of dollars, well, then you're you're doing commerce, you know. So it's just trying to refocus people a bit, I think. And and like you said, like the product should be doing an even better job of encouraging that. But if we continue to have an interface that's like an ESP, then that's always a secondary thing. And so we're trying to flip that and make that the primary um, the primary thing that people are tracking. So it's less it's less about like, oh, like Drip might be good for sending emails to your subscribers or creating newsletters or things like that and like or campaigns. Like it still is good at those things, but it's good at those things in the context of driving sales from people. Yep. Yep. And less exactly. focused on maybe you just have a bunch of subscribers that you never sell anything to. That's sort of you're you're a less good fit for Drip or where Drip will go, I guess. Yes, exactly. Okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Um, I feel good. You know, I think it's it's funny because like people don't like change, right? So anytime this happens, I remember when when GitHub made a few critical changes to their UI, when they changed to a dark bar from a gray bar, and everyone was like, the apocalypse has come. I can't use this app anymore. It's so distracting. And then a week went by, and now nobody talks about it, right? Similar when they like changed their font from Helvetica to the default OS font, and everyone's like, this is terrible. And now like it arguably is, is much better than it was before. So I've watched the brand evolve over time. So I've been gradually like become accustomed to it. And, and I've seen all the past iterations. So it's like it's hard for me to fully empathize with with everyone who's just seeing it for the first time because I'm that's not me, you know. But I think probably the hardest part has been kind of the the vis- seeing the visceral reaction from a number of people publicly has been tough and I feel for, you know, our whole brand team and and all the designers and it's just crazy how sometimes people on the internet forget that there are humans behind these things, you know. So when someone off the cuff says, whoever designed this should be fired, you know, like that doesn't feel good for the people who designed it. All these types of experiences make me more empathetic to to when I see other brands do this and know that like this is, you know, this is a little bit controversial. And that's kind of where you want to be. You want to be in the zone where people either love it or hate it, because that means you're resonating with with a certain group of people and the people who hate it. Well, maybe they're not the best fit, you know. But when you put yourself into that position, you're always opening yourself up to, to you know, a lot of drama from from a community. So totally, yeah. There's something about design changes that definitely provokes a lot of emotional response, and people lash out. But you're so right that it, it really is fleeting. I've had a couple experiences recently where of things I use changing, and at first I'm like, oh my god, like I, I like want to write an angry email. And I'm just like, this is like, why would you do this? This is so terrible. And then like a few days later, I stopped noticing it. Or like, I'm like, actually, that change is kind of good. I'm like kind of using this thing more. I'm, I'm trying to like train myself to not make judgments early on because I've seen this happen a couple times in me where at, at first I'm, I'm upset. And then a week later, I either feel totally used to it or come to see how it's better and that I, in a way I couldn't before. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's happened to me too. Like when, with the GitHub changes, I was initially with the font change. I was like, "Oh man, this is I don't know if this was the right move." But I mean, I restrained myself from like publicly flaming them on Twitter or something. But I remember like kind of following the comment threads and and uh, like their their director of design saying on Twitter, like responding to a lot of people and just telling them like, "Give it a week, then then let me know your thoughts." You know, because I mean, he understood like this stuff takes time. Change takes a while to get used to, but it, this is actually an improvement in our opinion, and I think you'll maybe see that too if you just give it time. <laughs> so, well, when when did the change roll out? 
Um, it was last Saturday, so okay. that was what the thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. So you're you'll you'll be at a week soon. Yeah. Yep. I'm already seeing from from my perspective, seeing things kind of die down a little bit. The 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 questions and the drama, and and you know, honestly, the questions are good. Like people people are asking genuinely, like, does this mean drips not for me anymore? And this gives us an opportunity to to drive home that point of, well, most people are actually selling things online and, and kind of honing our positioning. So, yeah, that, that e-commerce thing, I think will probably be an education challenge. Maybe like if you had asked me at the start of the call, what does e-commerce mean? I would say selling physical goods Mm -hmm. on the internet. Yep. That will probably take a little, little doing. Yeah. I get how like you're doing commerce on the internet. That means selling anything makes sense. Right. Um, And it's just crazy how like we haven't, we don't have a term in our nomenclature that really describes that, you know, because to me, because digital commerce is another one that we could have used, but that really implies that it's not physical. <laughs> it's like, it's only eBooks or whatever. So, ah, naming. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, why this positioning? Why this positioning? Well, I think it, it ultimately comes down to the fact that you know, we, we analyzed who gets the most value out of drip and what are the areas where we like looking into the future as best we can, what are the areas where we think we can really double down on that value and continue to provide more of it. And it became pretty clear that like, while drip is great for like growing your growing an audience without any kind of commercial intent behind it, like maybe a blogger would do, you know, ultimately those types of customers are not they're not utilizing drip to the best of its abilities. And so we really wanted to make sure our positioning aligned with our sweet spot. And I think our sweet spot is in doing things to help deliver the right message at the right time to the right people to drive more sales. Like this tool could either be used just for audience building or it could be used for actually minting money for you. And that's really where it came from. Cool. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, hang in there. Hopefully, the maelstrom will subside soon. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. What's been going on with you? Uh, I was thinking about my goals. I have not made much progress on my squatting ha- or handstand goals or meditation <laughs> goals. I've done a little bit, but not okay. as much as I need. To. I'm not on track, I would say, for those goals. As far as the getting a job goal, that is in progress. Um, I did have an, uh, an interview last week. I'm doing like a follow-up take-home project this week. Um, I'm talking. There are things happening. The world's a turning. How does it feel to be back in the interviewing process. So I imagine it's been a little while since you've done that. <laughs> it's been a long time. Actually, it was funny. It's like someone asked me for a resume and I was like, and I actually didn't make a resume when I went to ThoughtBot. I just sent like, here's my blog, here's a GitHub, here's some code. And so I hadn't made a resume in something like nine years. <laughs> yep. And I was like, how do people make resumes now? Right. Uh, and so fortunately, I found like a Google Docs template that was, you know, not offensive. It's basically just a bunch of bullet points, more or less, and made it really skimmable. But I, I was actually pretty happy with how it turned out. I think almost every line of the resume was like a link to something. Where it was like, you know, I was like, I co-created this thing and then also made this thing and, you know, did this to revenue on this thing and also this podcast and this whatever. I was pretty psyched. I was like, this is this this seems okay. This is not a bad, a bad little resume, I think. Yeah, that's nice because like so many people, like I, w- we look at a lot of resumes, a lot of candidates coming through the pipeline, and that's the biggest biggest challenge I think with software development is a lot of times you're working on a small piece of a project, and obviously the code is proprietary, and there's it's like always hard to kind of share your work. 
So I think that probably serves you well that a lot of your stuff has been kind of in public and you have a share uh, your your fair share of like projects that are predominantly you that you can say like, yeah, I did most of this and yeah. Yep, totally. And also that like I've talked about programming so much in public. So I think there's less of a question of like, does this person know how to program? Because like I like go watch my refactoring talk. You can watch me actually write code like in this video um, or any of or a number of, I have a bunch of videos from which I'm writing code. So that, that helps too. I think someone at the interview was like, uh, your reputation precedes you. I was like, oh, that's, that's awesome to hear. Like, that's, it's like kind of a, like the, the rock is rolling downhill a little bit, which is nice. And it's, it's kind of, it felt a little bit more like we were trying to find out if we're good fits for each other. And there wasn't much of the like, do you even know what's up kind of thing. It's nice working in public and having, you know, artifacts to share and, and whatnot. And I, I wasn't thinking about that so much uh, in the past, but it, it sort of all came together when I was like, I, I, there's a bunch of stuff I can put on this this one page that, that I think reflect fairly well on me. I think part of it is also just the, the phase I'm in in my career is I'm not like an entry-level person anymore. I'm not a junior person. So I, there's less of the like, distinguish yourself from other junior people. It's kind of more like you're, I'm fairly established. And so it feels like a different conversation, mm-hmm. which yeah. is nice. Yeah. So I imagine you haven't had to do any like programming exercises on a whiteboard. <laughs> no, I no. Fortunately, I mean, I I would be, I would be suspicious of a place that did that. Yeah, I would say that that there's your red flag about you not being a good fit for them, <laughs> or them not being a good fit for you. <laughs> right. I don't think I would like walk out of an interview where they did that, but it would be concerning, and I feel like I would actually, I probably would also like want to push back fairly immediately afterwards and be like why do you think this is a good way to interview candidates like is this how you interview everyone like and, and, and have a conversation about it to see where that was coming from i feel like that like whiteboard high pressure interview thing is like the stupidest cargo cult in development right now where it's just like oh this is just like what everyone does and so this is what we do and we know it sucks and we know it's not like what we do at work and we know it's not a great predictor but everyone does it so we just do it too and so you're supposed to study these things and know how to reverse a linked list that would be a very strong turnoff for if someone if if i encountered that yeah i know and i feel like this is i i'm shocked that we haven't gotten past this because i feel like it's well understood that this is not the right thing to do and yet it's still happening i was just talking to a candidate yesterday he was saying like, yeah, I've been at the same place for about five years or whatever. And now I'm like getting back into the interviewing realm. And he's like, yeah, I, I it's been quite a shock. And I've realized I've had to pull out my computer science textbooks and really bone up on some stuff. And I was like, oh, dude, that's, yeah. that's terrible. Isn't here. that like, stupid? <laughs> <laughs> like that's, how is that? Why is that what you should do when you go interview? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> oh, that's right. The things I haven't had to think about for five years, yeah. I should go back and brush up on so that someone can ask me that so that I can go back to not thinking about it after the interview. <sighs> Could it get more blatant? I don't and, think so. <laughs> and, and that like, oh, we just want to see, we're, we're just asking you this to see how you think. I think it's also just like a lame ass cop out. It's like, okay, then give someone a take home project or something or a pair program on something real with them there and see how they think in like a, a, a realistic environment. Yeah. If the domain doesn't match at all what the job's doing, then yeah. Uh, you could ask someone to go run a marathon to see what their mental strength is, but like that wouldn't be a good indicator either, you know? Totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually tomorrow I'm going to be working on like a take home thing, which I think actually is a, is a good way to do this. If you, if you do want to just get an assessment of someone's coding chops, take home, I think is good. It's just like so much lower pressure and 
more likely to give you an accurate picture of someone's abilities. Because I've, I've, I've been in those like whiteboardy type interviews and frozen up. I've had that experience of like, wow, I feel like I cannot think right now. And like later, it's like, oh my God, it was the solution was totally obvious. And in the moment, I was just like, you just, your brain gets in this panic state and you, I, I, you can't make progress. And it's, it's not what it's like to work somewhere. That's not what happens when you're actually writing code with, you know, at the office. Yep. We've done take-home projects and pairing. More more recently, leaning towards pairing because it's such so high fidelity to see how how someone works. But I think like one of the things that I've been cautious about is like, okay, this person's probably going very likely going to be nervous and they're not going to necessarily be performing at their normal level. So, you know, making them feel comfortable enough to like, like, look, we get it. Like, this is not, you may flub or you may make mistakes. Like we understand, like, this is not perfectly, you know, indicative of your abilities and trying to at least set the stage so that they're comfortable and can, can basically say like, oh man, I'm drawing a blank totally. And I normally wouldn't, you know, and you can tell if they're being genuine or if they're blowing smoke, you know? So yeah. Yep. Just trying to be good. Yeah, even pairing right. definitely has a little bit of that pressure. Yep. It's a it's a little better, but it's 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 still a challenge. Mm-hmm. I also like this this take home thing I'm doing. I can totally see how it is a feature in the product. Nice. That's good. It's like this is actually a thing that the product does. I can see the inspiration for it. So it's not just like uh, a, a purely academic exercise. It's like this is the kind of code you might write for real. And like it's a simplified version, but I I like that I can see how it ties into an actual thing. Yeah, that's good. Seems like they've honed in on a good on a good test project. Yeah, agreed. Cool. So yeah, so maybe more updates there uh, soon. We'll see. Awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, I think we should uh, wrap it. Yeah, let's wrap it. Okay. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks. And now, the postlude. <laughs> the after show. <laughs> De- act- um, someone emailed me and said, like, it would be nice if you stated that once the thing is over, you can stay for the extra if you want, or you can just leave. Which <laughs> I think is kind of funny because, like, it's a podcast. Like, you can listen to whatever portion of this you want. I promise not to be offended. Yeah. I promise to not even ever be able to tell how much yeah. of the podcast you listen to. But... Please know that you have official permission that the the full the official podcast is over and the postlude has begun, which is will always be, uh, you know, extra stuff. Yep, you are not obligated to stay. This is purely uh, elective. We should send people an end user license agreement if they would like to listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the following terms. <laughs> What's our recourse is, if they break that? Ah, uh, that's a good question. They should. We should revoke access. We need private feeds. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, it is interesting now. I feel like we have we have the podcast where we talk. Mm-hmm. We have the postlude where we talk about other stuff, mm-hmm. and then I have like a third list, which is like, oh, and I need to talk to Derek about this about off air. Yeah. <laughs> so now there's like three categories of things. I know. I know. I have some off air stuff this week too. It's like, yeah, I mean. We try to be public and transparent about everything, but sometimes you just can't, you know. Totally, yeah. So did as you transparent um, as possible, but but no y- more. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious. Did you uh, did you see a missile launch? Missile? No. Rocket. Oh, the rocket. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I thought you were asking if I was like in Hawaii. For that <laughs>
Why did I say missile? Um, they no. Missile. So I, as Rocket. as far as I know, I think the test, the static fire hasn't. Or, or it may have happened by now, but it it, it, it got pushed back. Okay. Um, and as so I have I have not seen one yet. I'm 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 a little less fired up about it. Yeah. Um. So uh, we'll see. I may still try to catch it, but I haven't been watching as closely as, as I might have needed to to catch it. Yeah, I think probably the the fact that these things can change last minute makes it a little trickier to commit to a uh, a plane flight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Static fire. It looks like Oh yeah, it's not it hasn't even happened yet. The static mm-hmm. fire hasn't happened apparently. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend who's going down, so I, I kind of imagine he'll hit me up. Yeah. When that's happening, hopefully. That's, that's cool. But so got to be flexible if you want to catch a, a rocket launch mm-hmm. also apparently there is a like if you want to see the launch the best place is at kennedy space center mm-hmm. like there's like a, a specific viewing area mm-hmm. but like once the launch is scheduled they open up ticket sales and i expect t- ticket sales the tickets will just go kind of instantly basically because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this is a, a historic launch right so then so then I you're could end up in a situation like where it's like i can't even nearby. get close yeah. yeah yeah so that's not super appealing so yeah. i guess we'll see we'll see how all the details play out but yeah cool yeah so uh i'm going to going to mexico next week yeah yeah how poor k yeah just to escape uh escape the winter for a little bit nice yeah i look Why, at- is, it, is it cold where you are <laughs> is it it's been it's been pretty brutal, but you know what? I I'm proud of how we've done. Um, you know, last year was my first real winter ever because the mm-hmm. rest of time mm-hmm. in California, you know, and mm-hmm. um, that was an experience. This year has not like I felt like I've been doing winter better this year. And talking to some locals, they're like, "This has actually been one of the worst winters in the last five to ten years." Like in terms wow. of how cold it's been and like those stretches of cold. So I'm feeling pretty good, you know, about, yeah. I'm like, if this is a, if this is a bad winter, then I think I can, I can do these for a little while. So nice. What's your coat situation? <laughs> My coat situation. Yeah. How do you insulate yourself? Um, good question. So I tend to, I'm not a huge fan of wearing many layers all the time, especially because, uh, um, yeah, you're in a t-shirt right now. Yeah, I'm in a t-shirt right now. Buildings are always... And then naked from the waist down. <laughs> yeah, you would never know. Yeah, I assume. <laughs> of course. Don't doesn't everyone work that way? <laughs> yeah. Um uh, so like buildings are always warm and I'm I run on the warmer side. So, um So yeah, I usually wear a t-shirt and then a sweatshirt and then I have a really nice I think it's Marmot brand. Um it's like a pretty it's like a 700 what's the what's the rating i think it's like a 700 and i don't remember what the exact it's like the down down um, fill yeah fill power fill power yeah it's like a 700 rated which is pretty pretty strong i think um Mm -hmm. and it like kind of like elastics around my wrists and fortunately the arms are long enough which is awesome Mm -hmm. um and it's got a hood that i can flip up and that's that's really what i do almost all the all the time is it a parka? Does it come down past your waist? It does not actually. It's like comes mm-hmm. down. It it's like a little longer than um, any of my shirts. So you know, mm-hmm. it gives gotcha. me enough coverage. But then I just wear jeans and snow boots. Wow. And, yeah. No, nothing under the jeans. I haven't done a vase layer there yet. I probably, if I'm going to spend any kind of like meaningful amount of time outside and not just like, you know, 
a few minutes walking to the office or to my car, then I really should be doing that probably. But mm-hmm. do you drive to work? I usually bus actually. Mm. Yeah, we have That's one. Nice. We went down to one car, so a lot of times I leave leave my car for my wife to use. Mm. And yeah, we we like live right next to the main transit hub in this area of town and it shoots straight into downtown like one block from the office so pretty convenient how long is that commute oh depending on when i hop the bus it could be anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 (laughs) kind of depending on rush hour timing um yeah and driving is usually about 10 to 12 minutes Mm -hmm. biking biking's about the same when the weather's nice so looking forward to that (laughs) yeah that's cool yeah. This is one uh, downside of if I did take this job that I've been interviewing for is they're, they're downtown and I'm not anymore. Ah, got it. So I'd be opting it back into a commute. Yeah. What would your, what would your commute be like? Probably half an hour-ish. Okay. Around that. Maybe 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. Which is, and, and it's not terrible. It's like not like I would be driving or anything, but it then puts me reliant on the uh, Boston public transit, mm. which is iffy, especially in the winter. Yeah. Like when it gets, yeah, and like it's a woefully underfunded system, which is extremely frustrating. Oh, like we're awesome. like a very rich first world city and have dramatically underinvested in public transit. Yeah, it's sure building lots of roads though. Mm, yeah, but so like the trains break a lot. You guys have like light rail that kind of spiders uh, through, or what does or light rail mean? Well, just like a I guess a train. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, there are trains. The public transit is mostly train. I mean, there's there's trains and then a bunch of buses. Okay. Um, and the trains are mostly subways that are underground. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like the red line, the red line is the one I would take is, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, at least the portions I'm on are 100%, just about 100% under, underground, more okay. than 90% underground, which, you know, should protect it from weather and stuff. But still, like when it snows enough, they have, they shut down really? if it gets bad enough. Yeah. Like a couple winters ago, when we had like 10 feet of snow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, there were shutdowns a lot. Um, it hasn't, as far as yeah. I know, it hasn't shut down this season, just but it's like when it snows enough, they're like, oh, we're experiencing delays because blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Well, at least if you're on a, if you're on a, uh, subway or bus or something, you can, you can, uh, use that time for listening to podcasts or reading, yeah, right? exactly. doing stuff. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's actually, that's, that, that's kind of a, that'll be the, the bright side is I can ramp my podcast listening up. And yep have a bunch of stuff yeah that was I ordered the one some thing airpods the other day I, oh did you that's cool yeah i'm thinking about making the making the dive i've heard good things they're still hard to get a hold of like i ordered like they're not going to come for two or three weeks oh that's right you were mentioning that that's yeah. nuts but that was the one thing like the silver lining of my commute i had back in um <clears throat> in fresno because i lived about 35 minutes from where our op- where the drip office was um was just using that time to sometimes i would just drive in silence and think and clear my mind other times i listen to a podcast or an e- audiobook or something mm-hmm. and um and when i when i cut that part out when i like stopped commuting more or when we moved like i was like well i don't really have like my prime podcast listening time is gone now so mm. i had to find other times to do it but that was the that was one of the nice things about a commute <laughs> Yep. So I just I'm I'm confirming right now. I think you saw it with Sherry about having her yes. come on next week. Awesome. Yeah. So, so that's a sneak peek. If you stuck around for the postlude, mm-hmm. uh, Sherry will be uh, Rob or Sherry Walling. Did she, did she change her name? Did she go by Walling. I think. So. Or, I think she goes by Walling. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Sherry Walling will be coming on, who is Rob Walling's wife, you might know. Yep. Uh, and talking about staying sane while running companies, starting companies, doing yes. entrepreneur stuff. Yes. Doing e-commerce. Writing a book. She's have a book book coming out. So it's, yes, that's right. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome. Actually, I see her email. I think um, next week is is next week the first? No, that's the following week, huh? Oh, she's see, oh, she sees free at two one. I see. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe maybe not for not, maybe not for a little bit. Looks like a couple weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. We'll so I maybe I may actually be uh, be on to uh, to join on that interview. So that'll be cool. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, having a guest, that'll be good. I had another thing. What was it? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Nothing. All Never right. mind. Well, should we wrap it? Should we move to the, let's, let's, let's wrap, wrap it. only section. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. Time for phase three. All right. Take it easy, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye.